If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, when you're betting, it's just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. Welcome everybody to the Trench Warfare Podcast presented by Blue Wire. I'm your host Brandon Thorne and for today's show I'm going to start off talking about offensive line tiers and it's something that I put out on Twitter over the last few days. I did left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, went through and ranked all 32 in tiers and I got a really good response on Twitter. Um, if you don't follow me you can go ahead and do that at Brandon Thorne NFL and you'll find all my tiers there. You know, putting all these names on paper, so to speak, and really just seeing all of them in one spot and then breaking them down in tiers, it was there, there was some good insight that I that I personally got from it, and I think that speaks to the state of offensive line play across the league. And you know, I'll start with right tackle, so I think that's probably the most interesting. And I think right tackle is probably the position. Of all of, of of the five positions on the offensive line, I think this one is the thinnest, with the the least amount of overall talent. So you know, I know that the discussion about which side is more important has been pretty prevalent, and I think now we can agree for the most part that left and right tackle are pretty much equal in value, even though that's not reflected in the salary caps of NFL teams and how they disperse that to each side. Left tackles are much more higher paid, and it's really because I think. It's still trying to, you know, the market is still shifting in the direction of right tackle pay, um, you know, equaling the left side. Um, but there's just more talent on the left side as it stands right now. Um, you know, I, I did tiers uh, one through six, um, one being elite, six being marginal. Uh, so two is very good. Three is good. Four is solid. Five is adequate. Uh, six is marginal. So, you know, of for for the right side, right tackles, I only had eight players, good or better, in the entire NFL, and then about 13 that are solid or better in the entire NFL, and that's the lowest out of all five positions. So I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, there's a, a couple right tackles, well, at least one right tackle coming into the draft next year, and Tristan Wirfs, who's actually going to be playing on the left side right now due to an injury for Iowa, um, but he's been a right tackle for his career so far he'll definitely if he stays on that side bump up this a little bit but for the most part this looks like it's going to be just a, a position that's going to struggle for the next couple of years in terms of matching the uh, you know the, the the litany of very good good or better pass rushers that are seen on that side of the football so I thought that was interesting but really it's a it's a two-man race for the number one spot the elite tier consists of two guys. That's Mitchell Schwartz and Lane Johnson. And then the next tier is only two guys, Ryan Ramsick and Trent Brown. And then it's kind of a toss-up for that fifth spot um, uh, with the next tier. You can, I'd probably say it's either Mike McGlinchey or Brian Bulaga. Probably, probably Bulaga if he's healthy, but McGlinchey is on the rise. Um, so those are really, that's kind of the, the top of the position. And you have a bunch of, you know, adequate guys, I think, you know, aside from that. So I thought that was interesting. It really, I think, helped people crystallize the fact that right tackle is, is, is really not close to to being as talented as the left side. Um, and then guard, 
you know, I, I think uh, both those positions are, are pretty even. I think right guard is more top heavy um, with more more elite players there. Uh, center is the deepest position in in the you know for for offensive line. Um, there, there's a lot of good or better players compared to the other four spots. Um, so, you know, I, I pretty much knew that going in, but it was cool to kind of solidify that after making the list. Um, so that was, you know, it's a fun exercise. I think people enjoy seeing lists, you know, especially when they're tiered. I think the tier format is valuable, and I think it helps um, just, just paint a, a pretty accurate picture of how the state of offensive line play is looking on an individual level and to really kind of, you know, get name familiarity going with people. So, you know, it just helps people become more familiar with these guys and, and what their names are and things like that, which I think is just beneficial for the position, just the offensive line awareness, you know, that I try to try to um, express on my Twitter account. But I don't want to go too far into this because I have a, a pretty good interview coming right now with Robert Mays, who is outstanding. He works for the ringer.com. He hosts the NFL, the ringer NFL show with Kevin Clark. And we kind of did our own state of the union for offensive line play. And we also did a fun project at the end where we built an offensive line together. We each built our own. Um, and it's, it's actually pretty similar, but, uh, there's parameters to it that make it interesting. And, you know, we talk about the trades that happened and, you know, he visited 17 training camps this summer. So we, we had a lot to talk about. Um, it, it went a pretty good length, um, but I, I think there's a, a lot of nuggets in there, a lot of insight from Robert that you're going to want to listen to for sure. Um, and he's really one of the, the sharpest guys there is in terms of NFL media, in my opinion. So it was a, an honor to have him on. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. A few of us on this show use Harry's razors. If you visit their website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Why try Harry's? Well, Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. And I think we can all agree on that. Harry's makes quality durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. If you don't love your blade, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with the Harry's trial set. It comes with weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering gel that will leave you smelling great and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Now with that, my interview with Robert Mays. All right, everybody, I'm here with the Ringer staff writer, Robert Mays. He also hosts the Ringer NFL show with Kevin Clark, and it's really a pleasure to have Robert on the show. We've been planning this for a while now, and I thought he was the perfect guest to bring in to sort of have our last preview before the NFL season kicks off this Thursday. And uh, Robert, how are you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm good, man. I'm glad we could finally do this. I apologize. I I decide every year 
to write these ridiculous power rankings where I look at every single team in the league, and it sounds like a good idea until I actually start doing them, and then I realize very quickly it's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, I've I've read both the uh, part one and part two so far, and uh, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes in there, obviously. So, yeah, that's quite the undertaking for sure. It's a good way to learn about the league, though. I think that for the most part, I have a very good handle on who I think will be good and who I don't by the time I'm done with these. The, the funny thing is, though, because I, I put it all, I put it off until the last couple of weeks. When people ask me in, you know, mid-August who I think is going to win the Super Bowl, I always say I don't know because I haven't started thinking about it yet. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Yeah, and that's a good segue into what I wanted to start off talking about, and that's. Uh, sort of predicated off of what you did this summer and really leading up to the season, and that's visiting, I believe, 17 total training camps and just, you know, building some stories off of that and, you know, getting to to see a lot of teams up close. Um, And just, you know, I feel like, you know, a big reason why why I wanted to have you on the show is because not only are you probably my favorite writer of, of, you know, in the NFL right now, but I feel like the stories that you get are just really unique and and uh also of course you love the offensive line so i thought this was was perfect and so you visited 17 teams um and you know you have a good handle on the league in general are just right off the top are, are there a couple offensive line units to you that really stand out this season for for you know on a positive angle i think a lot of the usual suspects yeah. i mean if, if you look at some of the league's best offensive lines that have been over the last couple of years I think you could argue that several of them got better from last year to this year. When you think about Dallas getting Travis Frederick back, I honestly think it's one of the more under-talked about stories in the entire NFL, just because of how much he means to the rest of that group and how much that offensive line means to that team. If you go to Philadelphia, the fact that they have Andre Dillard now just on the bench is the most unfair thing I can imagine. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous that you have a team that has the best offensive line in football And now I think you could make a real argument that they have the best swing tackle in football to just throw in the game if their legendary but 30-something left tackle goes down. Yeah. I mean, I think think those two – obviously those two stand out. Uh, In terms of, you know, ones that may be a little bit more surprising, I think we know how good the Patriots are. Obviously losing David Andrews is a huge blow for them. I think Green Bay is still great. I I think that we talk about Rodgers so much – that we just forget how solid the rest of that group is. And now that they have Jenkins there, again, just somebody that maybe they could throw in in a pinch. Maybe he becomes somebody that is better than one of the starters they have at guard. That's not out of the question for me. The group that I would say is surprising compared to what they were a year ago and what they've been the last couple seasons is Carolina. Just because I love everything they did this offseason to kind of solidify that group. To bring Darrell Williams back, to draft Grady, to uh, draft Greg Little, bring him in yeah. to play guard, I, and, and then also bringing in Matt Paradise and paying him less than what the market value for most free agent centers is, I just think they hit an absolute home run over the last six months. Yeah, and, and Carolina is a team, I still think, you know, John Matsko is the offensive line coach. He's been there for, for a long time, I think almost going on 10 years. And I think generally when the Panthers are really good, their offensive line is, is kind yep. of you know the, the the central focus of that of the of the group on that side of the ball, and I, I agree with you. I think that they're going to be good this year. I I initially had them as a top ten unit before the preseason, and I kind of bumped them down a little bit, but I still think they're a top fifteen group just because it looks like Greg Little. Even though I liked what I saw of him in preseason, it, he hasn't really taken home that left tackle job, and it looks like Darrell Williams is going to be there with maybe Greg Van Roten at left guard and. I was kind of hoping that Williams would be a left guard and Little would be the left tackle. So I don't know. I mean, I, I love that they retained Darrell Williams at the price that they did. Um, but I, you know, I, I thought he was solid at best at right tackle and now he's playing left. I'm a little concerned with that as far as going against top pass rushers and things like that. But with Paradis at center, that's a big upgrade. And, you know, I, I think that interior, um, at least him and Turner, that's kind of the strength. It really, center, right guard, right tackle. That's that's going to be a really good group on as far as that goes. So I still think they're a good I unit. I also just like answers, right? You you like answers. You like yeah. having a team that if somebody goes down, if, if you have a little bit of shuffling. I mean, right. if, Roden, if Van Roden were to get hurt, you could just throw a little in that spot and you wouldn't even blink twice about it. 
And I just yeah. don't think a lot of teams in the league have that sort of depth and versatility and flexibility, and they do to me. I just like, you know, consolation, not consolation prizes, but just secondary plans because so few right. teams around the league have those. Yeah, that's that's a great point. For When we're talking about quality offensive line play, I think that's a really important facet of it. And a team you mentioned, the Packers, I think that, and you touched on it, um, Elton Jenkins from Mississippi State, I think he he's one of the maybe three or four, in my opinion, best swing interior offensive line guys to have on the bench in the league. And I think that he's maybe better than both of their guards, honestly, or will be yeah. in the short term. Um, but I could see him supplementing one of those guys as the year goes on. And I have them as a top seven unit. Um, so I, I really uh, agree with you there. I think that they're a good unit for sure. Just, you know, of course, Brian Bulaga has to stay healthy. And if that happens, then they're going to be very, very good. Um, yeah. And, you know, usual suspects. Otherwise, you know, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, um, those are really the other teams that I would mention in there. Indianapolis, I think, is up there as well. Um, but, you know, a team that you visited uh, that I, you know, switching over to sort of teams that are a little bit concerning on the offensive line, one of the ones that stands out to me is the Chargers, who I think a lot of people have high expectations for this season, and much of that is is deserving. Um, I think that their defense is going to be really exciting. Uh, it sucks that Derwin James went down, but I, I still think their front seven is is pretty good. Um, and their offense, aside from the offensive line, you know, but that offensive line, man, I, th- I think they're a bottom like three or four unit in the league. Um, and, you know, I think you can get by with an average or a below average offensive line, but when you start getting into that territory, it becomes really concerning to me. So what do you think about that and the impact that it might have on the offense this year? I'm really concerned about it. You know, I, I doing these power rankings, I mean, I am so kind of predisposed to like the chargers i feel like they've built their team in such an impressive way i love just the drafting and developing that they do i feel like they hit all the time i think philip rivers is one of the more underrated players of the last 15 years yeah. uh, i just think he's a phenomenal quarterback so mm-hmm. I, I tend to kind of hope for the best with them for you know year in and year out also, I lived in Los Angeles. I spent a lot of time around that team. I've written profiles of Derwin James and Keenan Allen, Phil Rivers as well. just seems like I've spent a lot of time and uh, you know, portions of my life around the Chargers organization. And sure. even with that in kind of the back of my mind, it's hard to get excited about that when you look at this group. Even with Russell Okung in the fold, you'd still be concerned about what they have at right tackle and what they have at both guard spots. You know, I think both of us, for the most part, over the last couple of years, when looking at that group, had consistently hoped that Forrest Lamp would be healthy and able to kind of overtake one of those jobs. Yes. I mean, coming out, I just thought he was such a physical presence, and I think that they've really missed that on that line. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he just isn't running away with that is so frightening to me. And then when you combine that with the fact that Oconia is going to miss an indeterminate amount of time, there's really one spot on this entire offensive line you feel good about, and that's Pouncey. And I just, when you're a contender, that is extremely troubling, or when you fancy yourself a contender. Yeah, for sure. I think the tackle group without Okung is probably the worst in the league after Miami, who, you know, Miami's yeah. offensive line is, is going to be probably the worst we've seen in the last five years, I think. But, um, but they want it to be. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, very true. And the the lamp thing is is really disappointing because I, you know, that game that he had when he was at Western Kentucky against Alabama at left tackle. I mean, that was one of the better performances I saw from a college prospect in a while. And I was just like, that that really made me a fan of him and and high on him coming out. And for him not to to really assert himself and take Feeney or Schofield's job at one of those guard spots is that's that's one of their rare big misses, I think. Um, that really it could be the difference in them, you know, possibly going deeper into the playoffs because, like you said, aside from Pouncey, this is this is a really bad unit. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really concerned about that one. And then another team who also has a lot of high hopes with a similar situation, although it's it's a better offensive line, but still one of the maybe bottom ten is the Browns. Um, and you know, I I think really, you know, Joel Bentonio is a is a very good guard. J.C. Treader is a solid center, but aside from them, it's it's pretty concerning as well. The fact that 
Austin Corbett couldn't secure that right guard job is obviously a disappointment. They had to trade for Wyatt Teller. Eric Cush is supposed to be the starter. And then their tackles, I'm not a fan of either. I think that's probably a bottom five tackle tandem in the league. Um, we saw last year, the second half of the year, they were able to overcome that to a l- large degree. I think their scheme helped them a lot. Baker Mayfield getting rid of the ball quickly. But as far as over 16 games and then even in the playoffs, that's really where the concern lies with me when you have a offensive line that's not very good. I mean, I don't. I feel like it's been talked about a little bit, a little bit more than the Chargers, but still, that to me is the one thing that can hold them back this season. I, I'm totally with you. I think that if you look at this entire roster, it's really the only weakness that jumps out at you. You know, maybe one safety spot, maybe who's going to play the nickel corner. You know, I mean, it's little things like that, but uh, there's not a unit that you feel like could hold them back except for this one. And, I mean, you're looking at some of these teams that they have to play in the playoffs, and I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Think about this offensive line against the Chargers. Think about this offensive line with all of the games that the Patriots run. Think about this group having to block Frank Clark in Arrowhead in the AFC Championship game. I mean, you don't feel good about any of that. And I know that may seem like nitpicking because these are the best teams in the AFC, but when you fancy yourself one of those teams and when you want to compete for a Super Bowl, these are the sorts of areas on the margins of your roster that you need to consider, and they haven't considered it. You know, I was surprised they weren't more – active in the trade market on the left tackle side the same way that the Texans were. I mean, I wouldn't have done what the Texans did, but you know, can you call the Eagles and say, you know, what would Vitae be available for? Things like that. Just, just little tiny upgrades that you feel like you can make at this point in the calendar. I mean, the fact that they're rolling with this group and with Cush at right guard and Robinson at left tackle the same way they did at the beginning of this season is surprising to me. Yeah, that. The tackle group really scares me because if one of those guys goes down, there's pretty much nothing behind him. And, you know, the thing with having a good offensive line, if you have all these great skill players and a great quarterback, I think you can get by with an average to below average unit, especially in the regular season. But if you're entering the year as a below average unit after the course of 16 games happens and guys are banged up and you're getting into the playoffs where everything is more detail oriented and, and really I think the physicality goes up a notch and you have that below average offensive line that's dinged up, that's when I think it can really come back and bite you. So while I think Cleveland is going to be a great regular season team this year and, and really exciting, the playoffs is another story, I think. Um, I, I just think it's going to be it's going to be difficult. It's hard to see them you know, going deep into the playoffs with this unit. But you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm rooting for them to do well, but it's, it's definitely a concern, I think. It's interesting with with Mayfield too because he does get rid of the ball quickly. Often, you know, yeah. he has. I, I feel like he was in the top six or seven in the um, percentage of his throws that happened in less than two and a half seconds. But mm-hmm. if you look at his average time to throw, it's actually in the top ten in terms of longest because this team really likes to push the ball downfield, and on those plays, he does a lot of extending outside the pocket, which. And if you talk to offensive linemen, I remember talking to Mitchell Schwartz about this as it relates to Holmes. You can have quarterbacks that extend plays that make it a positive for you as an offensive lineman. As long as they're escaping to the right places, they do it at the right times, all that stuff. But there are still moments where it's difficult to be on a line for a quarterback that likes to extend. And Baker does. But the nice thing about that, though, is he mostly extends outside the pocket, which if you know how to escape, you know, the right routes to take everything else, it could be a good thing for your offensive line, but I do think that line is very fine. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I think those are really good points there on, on Mayfield, and I agree there. Uh, the last offensive line that I, I wanted to talk about, for this segment at least, is uh, the Texans, and that's just because of what they did. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, basically what they did, you know, they, they basically threw value to the wind and decided that that didn't matter, um, you know, for short-term you know, uh, turnaround basically, you know, they, and, and, you know, if you take value aside, which just we'll do for a second, I think that it was a smart move just to pair Watson with a left tackle like that. I think that that's really going to help the offense in the short term. Now, granted, you know, giving away two first round picks, a second round pick for a guy who isn't an elite tackle yet, but appears to be on the way is definitely a risky move. Um, what I know that you and Kevin talked about this recently on your podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but what what do you think about 
this and you know specifically like on the field this year how much do you think it's going to help and then just sort of your thoughts overall I think it'll help this year, but I also think that we've seen over and over again that one guy doesn't make an offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it's really more about having a group that's functional all the way across than it is about having one or two stars and a bunch of weak links. And I think that right. even adding Kunkel to this group, even if you feel like it was necessary considering their personnel, there really isn't anybody else on this line that you feel particularly good about. I mean, I, yeah. guess, it's, I, mean, I guess it's Nick Martin, but it, it's – Outside of that, you have a, a rookie starting left guard. You have Zach Fulton, who's kicked around the league at right guard. You have, I believe, Sean Charles Henderson still at right tackle, which no one feels good about that. So I just think that there's so many weak links on this team that it's still going to be a concern. And you just spent two first-round picks and a second-round pick to get this guy in Kenny Still. I think that they're better in 2019. There's no denying that. How much better, though, remains to be seen. Because the quarterback's still has a playing style that makes it difficult to play offensive line, period. And they have arguably four weak links along the offensive line. So we'll see how that works. In terms of the long-term value, I mean, this is a bonkers team-building strategy. I mean, this is the product of a head coach who is making your personnel decisions. Because guess what? The head coach doesn't care how many first-round picks you have two years from now if he gets canned. So I think that we've learned – pretty definitively over the last couple months here that it's really nice to have a general manager in your building when you're trying to make trades in the NFL. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And, you know, even with the, the Tunsil addition, I think the, they're one of still the bottom five units in the NFL for offensive line. I've really, I think it's Miami, them, Cincinnati, Arizona, and the Chargers. I think those are the, the worst five units in the league. And, you know, for that still to be the case for Houston with Tunsil, it's, you know, it's definitely disconcerting, and it it sucks because I mean I, I love Deshaun Watson. I'm a huge believer in him, and you know he 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 largely is able to overcome. A, at least he did last year a poor offensive line, and maybe he'll be even better this year, which I think he will. But still, you know, come the playoffs and when you're facing great pass rushing teams and things like that, it just yeah, it's hard to see this team being a Super Bowl contender. Really, you know, in my mind, just because of that, and then. This this takes us over to the Clowney thing, and you know you mentioned that you want to talk about Clowney because obviously I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his game, and I I just wonder like why why get rid of Clowney if you're going all in this year? Why get rid of him when he could walk the following season and you get a third round comp pick? I, I didn't understand that. I think that's a personnel thing. I think that's like a little legitimately a personal matter. Okay. I just think that they couldn't have him in the building building anymore. I think that it had gotten so ugly that it was a matter of having to ship him out of town. I mean, I, he was not going to play for the Texans this year. What they got for him is an entirely different conversation. Obviously, yeah. you just you run out of leverage. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. This is something where you see the difference between a smart organization and a lackluster organization. The fact that they traded him to the Seahawks is so strangely apropos because Seattle was in a similar spot. They franchise tagged Frank Clark, but what they did is that they traded him before the deadline to sign a new contract, which means you have endless amount of teams to trade him to and far more leverage than what you can ask for. So the Texans trade, they wait and do it after. So Seattle gets a first round pick for Frank Clark. Seattle only has to trade a third round pick for Clowney and they get the Texans to pay half his salary. All right. So just think about the gap there. It's the same scenario. And you're looking at players that are of similar quality and think about the returns in both of those cases, simply because one team understood it couldn't wait past the deadline, and another team just tried to figure this out as it went with as long as they could go, and they had to sell them for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, yeah. John Schneider, man, he's he's just he, he really that was a masterstroke by him for sure. It's he's, unbelievable. I, I mean, it really is just a reminder of the haves and have-nots in this league in terms of who knows what they're doing and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And it's funny, and I saw you tweet something about that, how you know John Schneider reminded us how he's one of a handful of GMs who really is at the top of his game. And uh, you know, I think people get caught up in, you know, a couple misses here and there, which any great GM is gonna have, but overall, I mean, Seattle's in good hands with Schneider and, and I don't know how much Carroll is involved in personnel there as well, but I you know very yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, just that pairing. It's it's a really unique, uh, I think, you know, a, a pairing there and just sort of their roles. But, man, it's 
it's it's definitely working out well. I think the way they're able to just sort of revamp everything on the fly, the way that they did after the Legion of Boom got broke up, it's it's impressive. They're they're going to be really good, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously that I, I have some concerns about just other areas of their defense. I think that you know I wrote about this for I believe tomorrow. I, I can't I can't remember when I write things and what day they're running at this point. <laughs> I, I wrote about the Seattle defense, and I just think that if you think about them overall, dropping Clowney in for Clark doesn't make you that much better, even if it makes you a little bit better. I also think that one of the issues with Clowney is part of his value stems from the fact that you can line him up inside in the right scenarios. And who are they going to line up on the outside with Ansa if they move Clowney inside? So I think that there are little tiny elements there where you could argue they're just as good with Clark. So if that's the case, and they're not going to have Reed for six games, and now you don't have Justin Coleman, can you point out a route to me for why this year's Seahawks defense should be better than last year's Seahawks defense. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I forgot about that Reed suspension. Six games, man. That's that's tough. So yeah, I I wasn't even thinking about the Reed thing, and that definitely hurts them. I mean, I think Al Woods is a good, you know, nose tackle or solid nose tackle. Puna Ford's interesting. The fact that, <laughs> I mean, a five foot eleven defensive tackle is is uh, you know, appears to be. You just solid. don't get the pass rushing is the problem. I mean, yeah, Reed, exactly. That was the best part is that you, you just push the pocket so well, and, and now you're just not going to have that element to it. Which right. you know they'll be fine for six games. I think by the end of the season they'll be in really good shape. But again, it's just hard for me to build a route where they're that much better than they were last year, where they were league average on defense. And if that's the yeah. case, you need the offense to be excellent. And I have reason to believe that they don't have the mindset to make that happen. I mean, they have the highest paid quarterback in the league, but you need to build a system around him that makes him worth that paycheck. And if you're going to be running the ball 60% of the time on first down, I, I don't think that's the right answer to get the most out of your $35 million quarterback, no matter how good he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I like running the ball, but not, you know, in, at an unreasonable amount or at, you know, on first down a lot. I, you know, so I'm, I think that's uh, not, not the right route to go there, even though their offensive line, I, I think has a chance to be pretty good this year. Um, it's, it's really built in a unique way. Uh, it's extremely large, just size wise. Massive. Uh, Massive. <laughs> it's kind of like a nineties Cowboys type thing going there. And then, you know, just obviously they're all very strong human beings as well. Not just big, but um, yeah. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, kind of way that they're going to attack defenses this year. And, um, but before we go on to something else, I, I did want to talk about Clowney a little bit more because, sure. um, you know, he's a guy, he's, he's been a, a full-time starter for three years. He, you know, and, and I don't think that he's better than Frank Clark as a pure edge rusher, but he's just such a unique player in, in my opinion. And, you know, he has 44 starts over that time. He's only missed four games. Um, he, over those three seasons, I did his averages as far as just basic stats. He has 53 tackles a year, eight sacks, almost 20 tackles for loss, 20 quarterback hits and about a forced fumble. So, I mean, he's, he's highly disruptive, I think more than anything else. And he's probably the most explosive player almost I've ever seen on the defensive side of the ball. He's highly instinct, um, his instinctual, and I think he plays the game at just, a frenetic pace that seems to be calculated at the same time. And you really, you can put him in any gap as well. And I think that that's unique. Um, so he's really interesting because he's, he's a bit of an underachiever in terms of what we expected for him to come out when he came out, uh, you know, out of South Carolina, we thought he was just going to be this guy you put on the edge and he's just going to work left tackles for the rest of his career. And that's not really how he's, became a productive player he's he's done it in pretty much every other way and he, he has a pretty good set of pass rush moves but it's not you know he's not Khalil Mack um he's he's I don't even think he's Frank Clark so he he's kind of one of those guys you have to really break him down and 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 put him in the right you know system and ask him to do the right things and it sounds like based on what Pete Carroll said I think yesterday and just kind of how they're going to use him that they're going to do that but I've just always been fascinated with him because when you watch him on film nobody moves like he moves it's just it's different and um i i'm really excited to see him in seattle because he seems like the the prototype of kind of what they're looking for in that front so i, I think it's going to be really fun to watch i think they'll use him like michael bennett which makes total sense i mean yeah. i just think that they'll move him all around he'll be inside in pass rush situations i think that's the right thing to do 
it's always so funny to me how much you love him because I completely understand your argument for it. It's just that I personally, he's always been one of the hardest players in the league for me to pin down because mm-hmm. I have such, like you said, I have such a kind of carved out understanding of what I want from my edge players. Yeah. And I tend to value nuance more than I value chaos. And yeah. when you watch him play, his game is the exact inverse of that. So it's always been really difficult for me to value him. Because when I'm watching a guy, I just love you know, guys like Joey Bosa or guys like, um, to a certain degree, Khalil Mack, where you just have this unbelievable understanding of, all right, I, I just roasted you to your outside shoulder. Now I'm going to come back with that long arm and just literally knock you over. And with Bosa, it's just this unbelievable understanding of hands and leverage, everything else. In a way, uh, the, I think the closest player to Clowney in the NFL right now in terms of overall style is probably the guy on Bosa's team. I think him and Melvin Ingram approach the game and attack the game in relatively similar ways when you just think about how they go from different places. And it's really, again, it's more of a chaotic way of impacting the game. I just think that's so much harder for me to put a number on than it is to know a guy is going to get 14 sacks and this many pressures and just attack from the edge consistently from game to game. Yeah, no, uh, that makes perfect sense. Another guy, kind of like Trey Flowers, except he's just a different breed of athlete. Yeah. You know, s- similar in that regard as well, how they're used. Um, but yeah, I, I'm i with you. It, it, he's definitely not a traditional edge rusher. He's he's more of just a defensive piece that you want in your front seven. Um, but as far as valuing him, that's that's difficult. When his contract, you know, comes up, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that's that's valued for sure. But but, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to end with, and I think this is a really fun project uh, or sort of segment here, and the inspiration for this, it, it's it's building the perfect offensive line. And I got inspired to do this because I was listening to one of your podcasts with Kevin, and you were talking about how your favorite offensive system is the Gary Kubiak mold, the zone running scheme with heavy play action, multiple personnel packages, the use of a fullback, so a lot of 12, 21 personnel. And that just, like, a light bulb went off, and I was like, you know, that's the exact thing that I love. That's that's what got me so much into offensive line play growing up a diehard Broncos fan. Um, you know, 97, 98, that's when I really, really got into football and watching offensive line block the zone running scheme at a high level, I think, is the peak of offensive line play. I think that's when you really have five working as one, and it's just it's just the most beautiful thing to watch if you're an offensive line fan when it's run at a high level. So I wanted to build the perfect offensive line with you, each of us using our own system, assuming it's probably going to be this one. And um, there's a couple rules that I wanted to lay out, and it's really – of the five players, only two can have ever been selected to a Pro Bowl, and none of the five ever to an All-Pro team. Um, so really, three, no All-Pro, no Pro Bowl, and then two Pro Bowler, you know, kind of as a cap there. So, yeah, with that said, I mean, are are you going to go with the Kubiak scheme, and then how are you going to build this this offensive line? I am, and I think that, again, just because I have such a, a predisposition to it. That being said, I think that there's such – an argument to be made for what a team like the Patriots does just with how varied their approach is and how unpredictable it is. And now they have play action throws tied in to just a ridiculous mix of different run concepts. They have, I, I love when teams can execute that. I just think that it's more difficult to do that extremely well, the yeah. way that new England does. You need a scar, Munchak, something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that for the most part, you know, I, I love Aaron Cromer. I think that he's a good offensive line coach, but I also think that the Rams have been helped significantly by what that offense does for your offensive line. Oh, yeah. I Lighten in the commitment. box. Yes. I mean, yeah. lighten the box, but also just in pass protection, I think that, you know, people in a rudimentary way, I feel like think that because play action passes take longer, it's harder on your offensive line. That couldn't be less true. If you run play action, it's actually a lot easier on your offensive line because it slows down pass rushes. So I think that you can get by with lesser players in this system when it comes to pass protection because you're almost helping them out to a certain degree. So that's the system I would run. And it was funny going through the players here because you forget how which guys have, for no reason, not made Pro Bowls and then which guys <laughs> all were all pro. 
like Ryan Ramchak hasn't been to the Pro Bowl, but he was second team All Pro last year, so I couldn't <laughs> pick him. So right. it was like a funny group of players to choose from, and I, I landed on some guys that I may not have thought about initially, but now that I have it, it's like I could work with this group. Oh yeah, same here, man. I'm I'm really excited about the unit I was able to put together. It's you know, I thought that these rules would make it a little bit more difficult than it was, but still, it's going to be interesting to see our five. And one more thing that I think that this is, uh, you know, highlights is sort of being ahead of the curve. I think that, you know, having this zone scheme, being able to skimp a little bit on your commitments to the offensive line when you're building this sort of scheme that's heavy zone based, you really focus on, I think, technique, fundamentals, yep. functional athleticism. And it allows you to find value later in drafts at the bottom of rosters, things like that. And then also with the NFL working in cycles as it does, it seems to be shifting, you know, to where offenses can be a little bit more run heavy. And that could maybe take advantage of some of these, you know, lighter, smaller front seven players who may not be as adept at defending the run. So I thought that this was a really cool exercise for from those standpoints as well. But yeah, who... Who did you um, have at left tackle, and was it an easy choice for you? I had Ronnie Stanley. I, I just think that he's nice. such a very – he's such a great young player. He's an amazing pass protector. I think that he has a little bit to be desired as a run blocker at times, but I think he's good enough. And at that spot, I'd rather just have somebody I can throw over there and not even think about it, and I think he's a perfect example. Yeah, that's a, a really good choice. I, I'm going to go with Laramie Tunsil. Um, You know, I, I just – you know, he it was either him or Jake Matthews using one of my Pro Bowl slots there because I think Jake Matthews was a good one because he has so much experience in the zone scheme. Sure. So, so I thought that that would have made a lot of sense. But, um, yeah, I, I wound up going with Tunsil just because he's younger and I think his upside is a little higher as well. Uh, may not be quite as good of a, a zone run blocker as, as Matthews is, but just with what you're getting as a pass protector and the upside, I, I just – Felt really good about that, um, and so yeah. So yeah, Tunsil Stanley, and Stanley doesn't have as much. Stanley doesn't have as much experience in that exact offense. They run a lot of different stuff in Baltimore, yeah. but I still feel like he has the athleticism that if you put him in that scheme for a year, he'd be just fine. Oh yeah, those and it's funny that we you know start off with Stanley and Tunsil. Those are the two ascending left tackles in the league that are going to jump up to that very good to elite tier. I think this season probably. So that's that's cool that we started off with one of those two or both of those guys. Um, for left guard, who did you get? Shaq Mason. It wasn't even a question for me. I You're mean, moving I, I just felt Shaq like... Mason over. Gotcha. Oh, I'm sorry. I, just, I that was in the wrong spot. I uh, left guard. I had Ali Martin. Okay. Yeah. Same here. All right. Yep. Okay. There you go. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, I had Ali Martin. I just think that he's so versatile. You know, they've done a lot of different kinds of schemes in, in Tampa Bay, and I think that. He's been adept at doing all of it, and he has positional versatility. So, I mean, in a pinch, if you need him to play center, he can. And I just think that he's a really good zone blocker, and again, somebody who can just do a ton of different stuff. Yeah, for sure. That one was, was pretty easy for me as well. I just he's he's well rounded, and I think he's one of the two or three best left guards in the league. So, to be able to put him on a team like this is is kind of a no brainer. Um, but but center, I thought was pretty interesting. Who who did you have here? I had a homer pick. I went with James Daniels actually. So did I. <laughs> really? That's hilarious. Okay, walk me through your walk me through your reasoning. That's really funny. Yeah, it was either him or Ryan Kelly, but uh, with, with yep, those are my two guys that I was thinking between. Okay, yeah, Ryan Kelly just with the injuries, you know, that kind of you know yep. threw me off a little bit there. But Daniels, I mean, I think that he has potential to be an elite center in the league, and I think that that can happen within his first contract. I just, I mean, when you watch him at Iowa. And even just what he was able to do last year at left guard, just switching over like that on the fly, um, I just think he he's always in control. He he doesn't really look like he plays outside of himself very often. And I think as an offensive lineman, when you're you're a guy who doesn't panic like that, I think that's a really good sign. And especially when you're just such a special athlete like he is as well. Uh, we talk a lot about Bradbury coming out and how good of a zone run blocker he was. I mean, Daniels was every bit as special to me. Um, uh, you know, uh, except he has a little bit more size and strength to his game, I think. So to me, I mean, I just think Daniels in the zone scheme, I mean, he can do special things and I think he, he has a really, really bright future. So I had to go Daniels there. I'm really excited about him. And I think that moving him to center this year and moving white hair to guard, I don't usually like shuffling along the offensive line just because 
I think that it's really important for muscle memory and for continuity to keep guys in the same spots. Yeah, but it is really nice if you can spend an entire offseason learning a spot and have players that can pretty adeptly switch between them. I mean, when Whitehair was coming out, he was a left tackle. Yeah. And he was a left tackle that was damn good at playing left tackle in college. And the fact that he just easily can move to center and then to guard and you're not even concerned about him, I think is such a testament to him as a player. And I feel like the Bears offensive line has a chance to be significantly better this year with Daniels at center for the whole year with Whitehair at guard. Yeah, I have them as a top 10 unit going into the year this season, like around the 8 or 9 range. And, uh, yeah, for, for every reason that you just mentioned, having Harry Heastan as an offensive line coach, uh, I thought that was a great hire. And he's probably a top 10 offensive line coach right now um, in the NFL. Certainly was the best college offensive line coach for a while there. And, um, you know, had played a part in Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, you know, all these guys. But, yeah, so I think that that's part of, you know, the my confidence in their offensive line and, and really Daniels getting to his, you know, fulfilling his potential as well. Um, but but right guard, who did you have uh, here? Shaq Mason. Okay, Shaq Mason, yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I just think that he's one of the best guards in the league. The fact that he hasn't been to a Pro Bowl is really funny. I mean, yeah. again, they play a lot of gap stuff in, in New England, and, you know, he's uh, – but I think he's, able, like, pretty easily – able to translate from system to system. I, I just think that he's a good player. He's a great run blocker, and he's gotten so much better in pass protection. I just think that it'd be hard not to pick him in this situation. Yeah, so I, I went with one of my Pro Bowl pick, my only Pro Bowl pick on this line, and that's Brandon Scherf. Um, you know, sure. Yeah, I went Scherf here. I, I had to get kind of that, you know, him and Marpet, I just thought that would be such a fun duo at guard. And, and Scherf, to me, I mean, I just think – you know, I may be a little higher on Scherf than most, but I think he's an elite right guard in the league, like in the same classes to Castro, Yonda, and Martin. I think he would be the fourth guy on that list, but still I think, you know, if injuries haven't, you know, robbed him the last couple of years, I think we're talking about him, you know, across the board in that category of player. But when he's on, I mean, I don't know. And when he's healthy, I think what he can do as a run blocker is really special. I think he's a good pass protector as well. But as far as like pulling – getting in space to the second level, tracking down defensive backs as well as linebackers, stuff like that. I mean, he's really special in that regard. So, And then, you know, on top of that, he's, he's strong and he's really physical and nasty too. So, yeah, I thought if I was going to use a Pro Bowl pick, it would be there. But Mason, it was him or Mason. So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty much on the same page here so far. Right tackle, who did you have there? McGlinchey. I just think that what he did as a run blocker last year and the fact that, again, I think he's ascending and is going to be so much better in year two. I just love the idea of pairing him and Stanley at those bookend spots, which, again, you know, hat tip to Harry Highstand, who's the man. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I had McClinchy as well. So <laughs> <laughs> We're on the same page here, I think. Yeah, I, I think with the parameters that I set out for us, it kind of boxed us in to where I should have known that we were probably going to be on the same like one or two guys here. Um, but yeah, for the same reasons you mentioned, he's, he's obviously, he's in a heavy zone scheme in San Francisco and we saw what he did last year, especially as a run blocker. I mean, right away, very good run blocker. So yeah, that was kind of a no brainer, um, for me, but yeah, so it looks like we're just different at left tackle. You have Ronnie Stanley, I have Laramie Tunsil, and then we're different at right guard. You have Shaq Mason, I have Brandon Scherf, but we're the same at left guard center, right tackle, but yeah, this is uh this is a fun exercise and I think that these offensive lines would be incredibly fun and just I mean I you know this is like a dream scenario I think if you're building a zone run blocking offensive line and we didn't even pick an all pro and um you know just one or two pro bowlers so this this was fun this was really cool. I I love doing stuff like this. I also just think it's interesting that you know obviously Stanley and McGlinchey are top 10 picks but you look at Marpet was a second-round pick. Daniels was a second-round pick. Mason was a fourth-round pick. I mean, there are so many elite players at these positions that you can pick off yeah. outside of the top 30, outside of the top 60 even. And I think this scheme absolutely accentuates that, which is just another reason that I feel like the teams that are adopting it are really happy about it. I wanted to ask you something. Do you feel like, you know, obviously the offensive line coach matters, but do you think that certain systems in college produce players of similar kind of not even quality, but that have similar traits. Because when I watch Dalton Risner play, it just reminds me of watching Cody Whitehair come out to a certain degree where it's just like this guy knows how to play. And I don't know if it's just a coincidence that they both played at Kansas State, but I always find myself thinking that about guys that went to the same school. 
Yeah, I, I think that a lot of it is the offensive line coach, but then also the scheme. I think there's just a blend of it. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I, I think Kansas State has another tackle um, there as well. His name is escaping me. But, yeah, it seems like just they're one of those random teams that is able to produce every couple years. You know, they have their, their one guy that they put at a feature position that just is, you know, very technically sound and, and just sort of NFL ready. Um, and, it's yeah, it's interesting. I you know, obviously Notre Dame is kind of the, the obvious choice here, you know, with of course. the amount of people that they've, you know, quality players that they've able, been able to put into the league. They can almost field, I mean, just have, you know, Stanley, Nelson, Martin, and McGlinchey. I mean, you'd have the best offensive line in the league, you know. I mean, and then I don't know who would play center, but, you know, Nick Martin. Um, but, yeah, so it's – I think he, Stan, deserves much of the credit for that one. And I look at other teams – that have a similar dynamic working now. I look at Georgia with uh, Coach, mm-hmm. Coach Pittman, their offensive line coach. I really think offensive line coaches, man, and I, and I think this last year has been talked about a lot more, you know, on Twitter and things like that, is their impact just cannot be overstated, even at the college level, pro level. I mean, that I think that's the most important hire that a head coach makes. Um, and, you know, their their ability to get the most out of players and really – I think instill confidence in their players, I think, is a big part of it. Um, when I was down at the offensive line masterminds clinic this summer, um, Shaq Mason was there, and he talked about just how much Dante Scarnecchia has done for him as a player. You know, he mentioned his last year at Georgia Tech, they passed the ball about 40 times the whole year. He said his first <laughs> game as a Patriot, they passed the game 40 times, or they passed the ball 40, really 40 times. Yeah, so it was, um, and he said, you know, the big, the biggest thing is, is just Skarnakia, just what he's, the, the confidence that he's instilled in him by providing him multiple ways to overcome maybe a technical deficiency, and you know, it just giving players tools that they can draw from, you know, over the course of a game, and you know, I think that what that does for a guy really allows him to to play the best, to become the best version of himself. So. You know, I think scheme plays a part, but really, I mean, you have to adjust your scheme to the players at all positions, but offensive line coach, man, I mean, it's amazing what, what that does for for a team, really, and, and for the players. I totally agree. I, I think it's such a fun thing to watch. I, I'm totally with you that I think it's the most important hire you can make. I think that that's why when you're looking at the Broncos' chances this year, for example, you feel so much better about them. I mean, yeah. the Bears were able to hit the ground running in a new scheme, I think, in large part because high stand was there. I mean, it's such just a stabilizing factor when you're looking at so many just moving pieces about new coaching hires, everything else. And if you can find that guy, I think it gives you so much better of a chance to hit the ground running. Yeah. So this was, this was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. I think people are going to enjoy this, get a lot of insight from it. Um, do you just want to tell people where they can find you and just kind of anything that you have, you know, coming down the, the pike at the ringer? Absolutely. I mean, it's the ringer.com and this week is just my preseason power rankings. I do every year. It's, you know, a deep dive into all 32 teams ranked from, you know, 32 to one, and that'll come out on Thursday. And then a few hours after that, my bears will play football and uh, I'm not excited about it. So that's really all. And then uh, twice a week, we do the ringer NFL show. Uh, You know, we did a show yesterday on Labor Day, kind of looking at just the craziness of the Texans weekend. And then We'll have one more coming out this week to preview the season. And then things will get going, and uh, we'll be off. All right, guys. Make sure you check out Robert. He does great work. Thanks again, man, for coming on. Absolutely, man. My pleasure.